It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Yeah, we had just way too much to get to this week, so we're jumping right into it. 14 of the 24 automatic bids were clinched in Week 10, and uh, we will get through all of that and all the uh, playoff permutations and combinations uh, later on in the uh, podcast. But, uh, you know, welcoming Keith, uh, I'm Pat Coleman, for those of you who don't know us by voice. Uh, some great games on Saturday. Uh, we talk about maybe so many things. First of all, uh, four games, uh, head-to-head games decided automatic bids. I think the one that uh, is the most intriguing to me might have been the Hobart-St. Lawrence game, uh, a game in which uh, Hobart had to take the lead with a minute three to go. Uh, St. Lawrence then uh, got a pretty good kickoff return, got a quick pass uh, practically to midfield, and then kind of kicked itself in the foot a little bit, or maybe kicked itself in the shins, or I don't know, however you want to say that, um, because they uh, had a holding penalty, then got sacked, and had to scramble just to get into position, and then ran out of time. Sure, and even on the play where they ran out of time, they had completed a pass inbounds to a player who was laying on the ground, uh, which would have put them in field goal range, and they they ended up losing that game by 2, 29-27, so... Uh, had they had that pass been completed, had they had some way to stop the clock at that point, they would have been able to come on the field and kick the game-winning field goal. But they were out of timeouts. They started that play with only five seconds left. So it was kind of bizarre. And the officials couldn't figure out uh, whether the game was over or whether there was somehow one second on the clock. So it was all uh, quite a bizarre finish to a really well-played game, to be quite honest. And it's, and it's so rare that Hobart gets a push by somebody in the regular season that I, that I think is this may bode well for them actually going forward. I think you paid a lot of attention to the Wittenberg Wabash game as well. Why don't you take us through that one? Well, I did pay uh, quite a bit of attention to it and you know, it's kind of sprinkled throughout the, the podcast rundown here, so I won't spend too much time on it, but um, basically Wittenberg found a way to, to beat Wabash with uh, only 211 yards of offense, which is, which is kind of remarkable if you think about it. Um, they uh, they had a couple of big plays early, blocked a punt, blocked a, a point after. Wabash had a safety, so it was it was kind of a, a back and forth game. And then, uh, basically, long story short, Wittenberg goes ahead in the third quarter, and Wabash has the ball, uh, you know, and they are just plowing down the field, you know, eight yards and fifteen yard runs, and uh, they get down. Uh, inside, uh, I guess about the, the around the 15, where they they had a situation where they could either kick a field goal, and uh, it was 21-15 at this point, so they could either kick a field goal to make a three-point game, and, uh, and Eric Rayburn decides to go for it. They have a great play drawn up, and the tight end runs a route behind the umpire, and so the pass uh, on fourth down, which would have been complete, hits the umpire. It's incomplete. And uh, Wabash still had a chance. Uh, they got the ball a couple times after that, but they were never uh, able to to get close enough to score after that. There, all, there was also a key point late in that game where it was fourth and three, and um, Wittenberg defender bursts through the line. Looks like he has a quarterback wrapped up. Quarterback gets away, scoots around for much more than three yards. So as a Wabash fan, if you're watching that game, you're like, wow, we just got this fourth and three. And then you see the holding penalty come out. And, and the hold probably was on the player who, who was in the backfield, which all makes, makes sense because the guy scooted right through so quickly. And, and, you know, the only way to stop him was to hold him. So anyway, um, for Wabash, I think that would be a, that's, it was a real frustrating loss. 
because they outgained Wittenberg. They, there were a lot of penalties that went against them late in that game. There were some decisions they didn't like. There were some special teams mishaps early in the game. And uh, they, they probably had to feel like they, they, they're now in a situation where they, they may not get a playoff bid. I think they're in good shape, but, but uh, they may not get one based on, a, on a, a game where they probably outplayed the other team. At the Ithaca St. John Fisher game, second year in a row that uh, uh, that Ithaca knocks off St. John Fisher to uh, win a, uh, the Empire Eight automatic bid. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, a game in which uh, St. John Fisher was held out of the end zone. The last time they didn't score a touchdown was in 2008 season opener against some team named uh, Mount Union, um, and Fisher hadn't been withheld out a, a touchdown at home since like 1999. Ithaca won this game um the uh, they had a chance uh, St. John Fisher had a chance they could have turned the tide uh, a, a little bit when they um blocked an extra point attempt and returned it all the way for a two point conversion that made it a 12 to 8 game uh instead of what it would have been would have been i guess 13 to 6 um but they never quite uh they never quite got the offense on track and, and Ithaca for uh, the second year in a row has put St. John Fisher on the bubble and not only that, I, I think this is what's really remarkable about about um, the the job Mike Welch and and that Ithaca defense um, ha- have done this season is uh, they gave up 38 to Frostburg State back on uh, October 18th as a road game, overtime game. They they kind of got some tough breaks in that one, and then the rest of their schedule at that point kind of looked like murder. They're, they're gonna play Salisbury with the crazy triple option offense that's their last home game of the year and then and then they go to Brockport St. John Fisher and of course the Cortica Jug game all those are on the road and uh instead of kind of falling apart after this 38 point game against Frostburg they uh they held Salisbury to seven Brockport State to 14 and then St. John Fisher to eight points on Saturday so the defense has has really risen to the occasion and has propelled Ithaca back into the playoffs yeah, we're going to talk more about St. John Fisher's uh, at-large chances and other at-large uh, opportunities as we get a little further on in the podcast. Um, you know, there were a couple of other games where uh, head-to-head uh, results decided uh, automatic bids. St. Scholastica defeated Greenville to clinch the automatic bid in the Upper Midwest Athletic Conference. Um, you know, Chapman beat Redlands. Chapman that Chapman Redlands game late Saturday night, Keith. Uh, Redlands had it pretty well in control at the half, and then Chapman had a, a big third quarter to uh, you know, come back, win that game, and they've uh, clinched themselves a bid to the playoffs for the first time ever. And, and that's a team that started off the season almost beating Linfield and then has been rolling since then. But as happens in a lot of conferences across the country, they don't get a real big test from the beginning of the season all the way until this Redlands game here at the end. So nationally, I think probably poll voters and, uh, and, and playoff watchers and those of us who have interest in, in what's going on in different conferences, we didn't know what kind of read we would have on Chapman. And I think Saturday, uh, they certainly proved that they could respond when they had to, you know, even, even after they come back in that game and go up by 11, Redlands scored to make it 31-27, and they got the ball back. And then Chapman ate up a bunch of clock late in the fourth quarter to uh, to pretty much kill Redlands' hopes. 
We're going to talk about uh, some of these other games as we go on through the podcast, but here's the other teams that have clinched automatic bids. In fact, here's all 14. So we just mentioned Chapman. They won the Skyak. Uh, Christopher Newport uh, leaves the USA South and takes the trophy with it. They uh, won the automatic bid there, and they moved to the NJAC next year. Franklin in the Heartland, uh, we mentioned Hobart won the Liberty League, and Ithaca won the Empire 8. Johns Hopkins won the Centennial for the uh, 10th time since 2002. Mary Harden Baylor in the American Southwest Conference. MIT in the NEFC. I mentioned St. Scholastica. Wisconsin Whitewater clinched the WIAC automatic bid. Wartburg in the Iowa Conference. W&J in the President's Athletic Conference. Wheaton won the CCIW, and Wittenberg won the North Coast Athletic Conference. And so coming up next week, obviously, we have 10 more automatic bids to hand out. Um, you know, there's one team that has a pretty easy path as uh, St. John's heads to St. Olaf, which is uh, second to last in the MIAC. We have a bunch of showdowns and we have some pretty complicated uh, uh, opportunities or possibilities as well. Yeah, the the NJAC, the ECFC, the NAC and the ODAC are the ones where more than one team uh, are in the mix. And even among those. Uh, there are some front runners and some of them hustling. All they have to do is win. Hampton, Sydney, all they have to do is win and they're in. But it gets a lot more complicated uh, for all four of these. And I don't know if you want to go through them now or go through them later. Um, but the, but the, I, I think for, for me, the more exciting ones are, uh, are the, the straight up showdown games. I mean, we've been waiting all season for, uh, for John Carroll and Mountain Union to play Del Val and Widener. So I think, I think next week's going to be a, a huge week. And you look at all the teams that clinched this week, except for Chapman and MIT, it's pretty much a, a who's who of D3 from W&J to Whitewater to Wittenberg, you know, Wheaton, Johns Hopkins, Mary Harden, Baylor. I mean, all those teams are all perennial playoff teams. Yeah, those uh, those showdowns you mentioned, uh, of course, John Carroll and Mountain Union. That's uh, you know two of the top six teams in the poll. Delaware Valley and Widener they show up unbeaten as well. So that'll be a, a pair of uh, hope to be a pair of really good games. Um, and then we have some other stuff. I mean, Pacific at Linfield. Who would have thought that uh, we come down to the end of the season and Pacific and Linfield would be playing for the uh, for the automatic bid? Uh, Adrian and Trine for the MIAA, and then the Midwest Conference title game between uh, McAllister and Illinois College. Uh, those are the uh, those are the ones where they'll be pretty easy. We'll know at the end of those games uh, who's going to win the who's going to get the uh, AQs out of that pretty much straight up. So yeah, so let's uh let's let's talk about the complicated ones since you hit the easy ones pretty pretty uh straightforward. And I think of that group, um the Pacific at Linfield one, as you mentioned, definitely um a little bit unexpected. Linfield losing to Willamette a couple weeks ago made that interesting and then you know, Pacific turnaround and in handling Willamette pretty easily on Saturday makes that one that, you know, that wasn't a game that we circled at the beginning of the season the way you would circle a John Carroll at Mountain Union. Um, but but it's a huge one on, on this Saturday coming up. So uh, these complicated scenarios, let's talk NJAC real quick. Um, this one is uh, Montclair was basically uh, in control. They lost to Marsville State on Saturday, and that now puts Rowan um, potentially in the driver's seat if, uh, you know, depending on the, the, the three-way tie. Basically, uh, Rowan lost to Montclair State, Montclair State lost to Morrisville, and, and Rowan beat uh, Morrisville 31 nothing. So each team head-to-head, uh, which is almost always the first tiebreaker in, in any conference. Each team head-to-head, one-and-one against each other. In previous seasons, the way the NJAC has done this, they've gone head-to-head, then they've gone uh, descending order, 
you know, basically if any of your losses are, are to a different team in the order, that would sort it out. That doesn't sort it out. And then uh, opponents, opponents winning percentage was the third tiebreaker in 2010 when Cortland State, Montclair, and Rowan all tied at the top of the conference. And um, the so I believe it was Cortland that, that got the bid that year by a hair. It was like 514 to 504 to 502 were all the opponents, opponents winning percentages in that case, uh, Morrisville State has the best opponents' opponents' winning percentage currently. Although Rowan has by far the best uh, strength of schedule because they've played Widener, Wesley, and um, all the, the the big NJAC teams. Yeah, it's just uh, and, and you know there were, uh, there's no good way to break a three way tie when each of those teams just has one loss on the season. We, a lot of conferences use what's uh, was uh, informally referred to as the Rose Bowl rule, which basically meant whoever had uh, been out of the playoffs for the longest amount of time uh, gets the bid. Uh, the the Midwest Conference we saw it uh, played out this week a little bit uh, um, in that they used quarters led. So when McAllister had a lead at the end of the first quarter against St. Norbert, uh, they clinched, uh, they basically all but clinched their uh, position in next week's Midwest Conference title game. And then when they were leading again at halftime, uh, they basically eliminated Carroll from uh, even working their way into a three-way tie if McAllister had managed to lose that game. But in all honesty, there's no good way to go. Uh, In football, everybody only plays each other once, so there's uh, not a lot of uh, opportunity for separation in the standings. And when you have three teams that all lost to someone else in the group, there's 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 no easy way to break that tie. That's why we call them triangles, because you really got these three sides that you could uh, argue in every direction. That make them isosceles. Which one is the one that's all all three equal? That would be equilateral triangle. Thank you. Okay. You're the math whiz of the group. I, I have a sixth, you know, it, I have in, a sixth grader and a fourth grader doing math that I can handle. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, the one we've seen, the tiebreaker we've seen used in the CCIW and the A uh, American Southwest is the of that that triangle, the three head to head margin of victory in those games, and we've seen that even come down to to a, a crazy scenario where I guess this is back in '03, where it was a Harden Simmons and Mary Harden Baylor. One of them didn't. Uh, because they won in overtime, they didn't get a chance to kick the extra point, and, and that was the point that separated them in the in the tiebreaker. Uh, in this case, you know, Rowan would would have a huge advantage because they beat Morrisville State thirty-one to zero. So that not being the NJAC's route um, certainly changes that race. Uh, let's let's quickly dive into these other three um, conferences that have semi-complicated scenarios. The ODAC, not shockingly, on that list. Hampton Sydney is uh, is in if they uh, beat Randolph Macon, which is four and five this season. And I'll reserve any um, extra commentary about the game at this point. Uh, Hampton Sydney made its own bed, losing uh, last week thirty four to nine against uh, Bridgewater, which is still in the mix somehow. But um, Guilford is at Emory and Henry. Both of those teams are uh, are. Uh, Having, I guess, much better seasons than than maybe some expected. Guilford seven and two. Emory Henry is eight and one. So uh, Hampton Sydney's in with a win. Emory Henry is in with a win and a Hampton Sydney loss. If uh, both Emory and Henry and uh, Hampton Sydney were to lose, then it, then it would come down to uh, Guilford and uh, Bridgewater and uh, and Hampton Sydney. I guess would still be back in the mix. Everybody would have two conference losses, and it would get uh, it, it would be something that we'd have to sort out on the podcast next week. These other two, I can I can 
breakdown for you real easily. Do you want to jump in on ODAC? Nah, I, in all honesty, I'm not sure there's anything else you had to say after uh, when you said, not surprisingly, the ODAC was on this list. True, true, true. All right, so uh, ECFC, if, if Husson wins at Mount Ida, they're in. If uh, Mount Ida wins, and uh, I had this one written out. Now I can't find it. All right, if Mount Ida, if Mount Ida wins, we have a three-way tie, but with uh, with uh, Husson, Mount Ida, and Norwich, and I have another triangle like uh, like in the NJAC, and that would have to go uh, down to the tiebreaker. So it'd be easy for us um, to just have Husson win. They're in. They would they would sweep the uh, ECFC right now. They're seven and one, six and zero. The Mac. This is the one with four teams in the mix, and this is the one where I worked out every possible scenario. Uh, Lakeland is at Benedictine. Concordia, Wisconsin is at Wisconsin Lutheran. Lakeland is in with a win. Wisconsin Lutheran is in if Benedictine and Wisconsin Lutheran lose. Benedictine is in if Benedictine and Concordia, Moorhead, uh, Concordia, not Moorhead, Concordia, Wisconsin. Uh, this, you know what? I'm starting to Concordia, realize Wisconsin. this would be a lot easier. In was, writing. <laughs> probably true. It's a lot easier to read it than to listen to it, I think. I was just looking at Concordia, Wisconsin. I mean, they're not actually in the tiebreaker scenario because they have two losses, right? Two conference losses. They just play correct, into somebody correct, else's scenario. Correct. They play at Wisconsin Lutheran gotcha. uh, in this one. So uh, so Benedictine needs um, needs to win. They need to beat Lakeland, and then they, they also need Concordia, Wisconsin to win. All right. Yeah, it's... Uh, and. Shoot, Benedictine uh, started off the season pretty uh, pretty poorly. They were one and four, and uh, they've just to get back to this point, they have to be pretty happy. They've uh, gotten there at the expense of Concordia, Chicago, and Rockford two of the last few weeks. But they did have that uh, win at Concordia, Wisconsin, back on November first, which is a, a legitimate win in that conference and a reason why we're still talking about them here on the uh, November tenth podcast. So. Uh, congratulations to the Eagles. So let's see, did we get, uh, those were the hard ones. Uh, the, uh, you know, St. John's has its, uh, uh, destiny in its own hands. We talked about the showdowns and those are the, uh, the 10 automatic bids we have left. It seems like we, uh, solved, so to speak, a lot more conferences in week 10 this year than we have in, uh, uh, recent previous years. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. I mean, I think this is a, about the number that we're on. Sometime, you know, between twelve and fourteen will be clinched, um, and most of them happen this week. Occasionally, you have some in one or two clinch real early in week nine, but uh, but they, they they happen today, and, and all the dominoes fell into places for for a lot of teams that I think we had you know assumed whether it was Mary Harden Baylor or Johns Hopkins or someone like that, where they, they were kind of way out in front, uh, Washington and Jefferson, and they were just, they were just you know, putting the finishing touches on it on Saturday. And then there were all those great games, as we mentioned earlier, where, you know, whether it was the Ithaca, Hobart, uh, games where it, where it came down to, to uh, you know, a, a tough finish or a big game on Saturday. I'm going to give my game ball to Lamar Johnson, the quarterback for Morrisville State. He accounted for 350 yards of total offense and four touchdowns in that uh, Mustangs win over Montclair 38-20. So Mustangs are in the clubhouse. They're 8-2, and 6-1 and one in the end, Jack. Uh, Keith went through all that tiebreaker stuff, which we don't really necessarily know. The one thing that could help them uh, win the automatic bid outright is if TCNJ defeats Rowan on Friday night, uh, that would give Morrisville the title because then it would just be a two-way tie. That's something we can break pretty easily in every conference. 
Um, Johnson, along with uh, running back Christian Pena, helped the Mustangs just dominate in the terms of time of possession. They had the ball for 42 minutes and 12 seconds on Saturday. Uh, even if they don't play a NCAA playoff game uh, or if they play an ECAC playoff game, uh, Johnson's going to go out as you know being obviously the uh, the greatest quarterback in Morrisville State's uh, brief four year uh, foot uh, four year school football history. Uh, he and Kurt Fitzpatrick have really put that program on the right track, Keith. Yeah, uh, my game ball goes to the Wittenberg defense and special teams. Uh, Wabash came in averaging 46.4 points per game, but that, that's what happens when you go seven weeks without playing a team on your level, which Wabash hasn't played one since, uh, since Hampton-Sydney. And, and it was a much different story on Saturday against Wittenberg. The Tigers blocked two kicks, as we mentioned earlier, had two turnovers, and one cleverly placed umpire while they uh, held off the Little Giants the last four times they had the ball. And that helped Wittenberg win despite getting only 211 yards of offense against a stout Wabash defense. <laughs> Did Wittenberg place that umpire? I didn't think that they had that kind of control over that i just want to throw that line cleverly placed umpire in there just so you when you listen to the podcast you hear something that you haven't heard before and i haven't made up any words yet so we're good nor have either of us said looking at it from afar which has to go into the uh, around the nation podcast drinking game which i think by the way if you're sitting uh, here watching film on monday morning which uh, a lot of coaches are doing while listening to it the drinking game has to include coffee i'm pretty sure just for the record uh, I think Wittenberg. Hey, also, oh, go ahead. I think also for the record, you you made up a word in the opening. You said bringing bringing in Keith or something like that. <laughs> could be, or it could be that there was just buffering between me and you on Skype, and you heard it that way. I don't know. We'll have to check the okay. uh, audio anyway. on that. Uh, I think Wittenberg improved its playoff chances too, Keith. I mean, obviously, clinching the automatic bid is its ultimate improvement, right? But in the Wabash-Wittenberg matchup, Wittenberg was really the one that needed to win more because they had that non-Division three loss to Butler. You would think that shouldn't be a big part of the criteria, but apparently it was enough to keep Wittenberg below all the other unbeaten teams in the North. And if they'd lost on Saturday, then they would have been presumably below a lot of one-loss teams in the North as well and just would have been really far down the uh, pecking order in terms of at-large bids. So uh, Wabash is, uh, you know, obviously in a, in a different situation. They have a, a, a good game uh, potential coming up on Saturday that might help them out, and they beat Hampton-Sydney earlier, as Keith mentioned. I think Pacific improved its playoff chances the most. Uh, I'm not sure how seriously I was even taking the boxers' chances, uh, but one week after Willamette beat Linfield, Pacific handled the Bearcats, setting up that title showdown with Linfield. If you add in that Pacific led last week, last year when when they met um, Linfield, they led 16-7 in the second half of what turned out to be a 28-22 week 11 loss. Um, to the Wildcats. You, know, you have to take their chances seriously this weekend, and, and that's something I'm not sure that, that, that I necessarily was, uh, was, was doing. You kind of just figure Linfield's going to eventually figure out a way to, to clinch the thing. Uh, on Saturday, Pacific forced three turnovers. They were five of six in the red zone, and uh, of Dylan Jones, 166 yards rushing, only 65 of them came after the first quarter. So Pacific's got a big week of, of, of preparation ahead for what's the biggest game in their five-year history. And here's Keith Buckley to talk about that. I'll tell you what, we're going to celebrate tonight. We're going to worry about uh, the next game tomorrow, but uh, we're excited. It's where it's the only place we can be six weeks into conference play. Um, and so we're excited with where we're at, and uh, we're ready to get back to work tomorrow. Thanks to Pacific for posting its uh, post-game interviews to YouTube early in the evening on Saturday so we can get it into the podcast. That's key work there. Good job. 
Um, so my team that moved on to the bubble, uh, St. John Fisher, obviously. I think we have a pretty good chance of seeing a two-loss team in the field this year. And St. John Fisher will be one of the leading candidates, but also along with uh, Bethel and North Central. So St. John Fisher's strength of schedule is pretty high. We have them at 582. What I don't like about them is the uh, it's not who you lost to, but uh, who'd you beat test, where St. John Fisher lost to Ithaca. Lost to Salisbury, but didn't beat a team with a, a didn't beat a team a, a, in the regional rankings, a regionally ranked opponent. On the other hand, you have Bethel, who lost to two regionally ranked opponents and also beat St. Thomas, uh, which seems likely to remain a regional in the regional rankings this week. And then you also have North Central, which uh, lost to a team in the regional rankings and then lost a team that's not in the regional rankings in, in uh, Wisconsin Stevens Point. But they beat Wisconsin Platteville, so that gives them a, a, a check in that box as well with a win against a regionally ranked opponent. So it'll be interesting to see how many two lost teams get in. I do think we see at least one. I think Bethel, if uh, I look at things right now, is uh, is my leader among that group. I, I think you should have to take a swig of coffee for uh, every time you hear, it's not who you lost to, it's who you beat, which is worth repeating. I'll take that. I'll, I'll, you put that on the list. Uh, Wabash moved on to the bubble on Saturday, uh, and I know their their fans are a little bit skittish because they've they've been left out in some good years that they've had in the past. But I like their chances this time around, mainly due to the season opening win over Hampton Sydney, which gives them a result against a regionally ranked opponent. They'll also get a strength of schedule boost if they beat arch rival DePaul this coming Saturday, uh, because the Tigers are back. They're seven and two this year with losses only at uh, Wittenberg and Ohio Wesleyan. So uh, I like Wabash chances as an as at-large team. Meantime, Montclair State went from in control to out of the picture. The Redhawks lost to, Mon- to Morrisville State, left the NJAC in a three-way tie, which, which Rowan uh, or Morrisville State will, will likely win. If TCNJ somehow pulls the upset, Morrisville State, which is in the clubhouse at 8-2, and two, would hold the head-to-head advantage over Montclair. It's kind of tough to go off the beaten path this time of year because this time of year the path gets beaten pretty heavily by the playoff teams and the playoff contenders and the teams that knock themselves onto and off of the bubble. Uh, So this highlight I'm about to mention is about as far from the beaten path as you can get. George Fox won its first game since restarting the program, defeating Lewis and Clark 30-12. to So in consecutive weeks, the Pioneers went from nearly derailing Pacific's uh, Northwest Conference title hopes to losing to a first-year program. Uh, George Fox's big offensive performance actually came from its defense as Justin Leatherman returned two interceptions for touchdowns for the Bruins in the win. Um, You know, it's been decades and decades since George Fox had a uh, football program and obviously decades and decades since they had a win and it looked like they were going to get through this season without picking up win number one, but they got it on Saturday. So congratulations to the Bruins. Justin Leatherman is a cool football name. There you go. Yeah. For, For For my off-the-beaten-path highlight, I'm going to go with Rochester blocking a field goal attempt in overtime. Freshman Isaiah Smith got his mitts on WPI kicker Blaine Bercy's attempt. Then Rochester had to have its own kicker, who plunked a 37-yard field goal off the upright earlier in the game, hit the game-winning kick from 36. Uh, each week across D3, there, there are a handful of great overtime finishes somewhere from coast to coast. And uh, Lycoming, as a matter of fact, this week also blocked a PAT, then scored and kicked theirs to beat Lebanon Valley 30-29. to but, but these overtime finishes, whether they're you know, in huge games or as far off the beaten path as you get, they never get old. I think we'll have more of those to talk about, too, as the uh, podcast goes on. Keith, I got to ask you, you, we've talked a lot. You talked a lot specifically about uh, blocked PATs, blocked field goals. Do you ever block a field goal or a PAT? 
No, and my dream was actually to block a punt. And I remember one time when I came free off the side, it was me and another guy broke through, and uh, the, there was one up back, so he had to pick one of us. And, you know, the, the rule is usually blocked to the inside, and I was coming off the outside, but for some reason the guy picked me up. And so the guy who came free off the inside got to block a punt and fall on it for a touchdown. All right. I don't have a response to that. I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm saying I'm, I, I remember it vividly because I always wanted to do it. <laughs> that, I, I, yes, almost, almost goes unsaid. Uh, my surprising result from Saturday. Um, you know, we talked a lot of, about a lot of games that were uh, really surprising, including uh, the, just the way that St. John's manhandled uh, Bethel. But going away from that a little bit, seeing uh, Catholic with a really young team go 61 yards in one minute to score the game-winning touchdown and defeat Washington and leave 40-36. So the Generals had taken a lead on a touchdown and a two-point conversion with a buck 31 left to go up 36-33. And it's been a really tough year for Catholic because they're very young, and for that matter, so is WNL. So when you're young, it's really easy to let that sort of late score defeat you and deflate you. But TJ Two-Tone, which is a name I just like saying, uh, went four for five passing on the drive, and then he ran for the six-yard touchdown for the win. Um, you know, Catholic lost its season over to Mc- season opener to McDaniel, which is one and eight and likely to go one and nine. It looked like a pretty dismal season at that point. But, you know, now they're three and six, so that's a, a little bit better than it could have been. Could have been easily two and eight or one and nine. My most surprising result is Hamlin beating Augsburg 28-27 to earn its fourth win of the season and their first season under Chad Rogoszewski, who's a 1998 Hamlin grad. The Pipers had won four games over the four previous seasons, and next week they'll get to go for 500 this season against Carlton. This was another case of a blocked point after in overtime and a team needing to score after that blocked point after and hit their own point after to clinch the game. Uh, Rogoszewski, that first-year coach, was a senior running back on the last Hamlin team to go 500 back in 1997. And uh, Dick Tressel was the head coach of that uh, Hamlin team, and Hamlin's been kind of wandering in the wilderness, so for an opportunity for them to go 500 and also they may have beaten a playoff team this year because they beat McAllister and McAllister is playing for the Midwest conference title next week. Uh, my stat of the week, uh, have to go to that game. I was at on Saturday. Bethel had come into the game Saturday with just 10 turnovers in eight games. Uh, in fact, they didn't turn over the ball at all in the season opener against Warburg. Uh, they turned the ball over five times at St. John's, uh, quarterback, Eric Peterson was responsible for four of those. He threw two picks and had two fumbles. And for St. John's, the 11th anniversary of the 409 game was a good one. Well, I couldn't be more proud of our of our team. Um, we talked uh, since last year at this time. We talked about getting uh, in position to win the champion win a championship game, and uh, we knew we were going to be up against a great Bethel team, and they are really good. They're a very very solid football team, and I told Steve we're probably going to see them down the road here in the playoffs. And uh, but I'm really proud of our football team. We uh, we prepared well all week and uh, did a great job under uh, a lot of pressure today. What a great job he's done getting St. John's back on track, too. Uh, we'll stay in state. McAllister, how about that win over St. Norbert? It's the f- it gave the school their first eight-win season in 121 years of football. Let that one sink in for a second. They've never had a season this good in 121 years of football. I also throw this in as a bonus stat. It's not quite the same depth, but uh, but Chapman has never been to the playoffs, and uh, now now they're Skyac champions. They'd also lost seven in a row and 14 to 15 to Redlands, so that win was quite a satisfying win way out west on uh, on Saturday. McAllister, which you know 
could have cut the program very easily when they left the uh, MIAC after 2001. It would be interesting. I think um, anybody who's in contention in the MIAC would be glad to see McAllister coming to their place in round one because uh, they haven't. Neither Bethel nor St. John's has uh, seen McAllister on the football field since they left the conference. Let's see. We had some pretty good predictions uh, in triple take last week. Um, you know, Keith predicted that uh, Jake Busani would have a big play in uh, Wesleyan's win, and he had uh, a couple of them: a interception, fumble recovery, and a forced fumble as uh, Wesleyan beat Trinity twenty to nineteen. Um, you know, the upset picks missed, but not by much. I mean, Hobart needed that uh, field goal with sixty-three seconds left to beat St. Lawrence. And, uh, you know, Chapman had to uh, rally and hold off Redlands. So even though those weren't upsets, they were certainly games that could have been could have gone the other way. Yeah. And the game of the week picks were pretty good. Uh, Ithaca and uh, St. John Fisher and then Wittenberg Wabash was pretty good. Turned out the Bethel St. John's game wasn't quite game of the week worthy. The uh, it, was, it was certainly coming in. It was. But the margin of victory for St. John's, the final was was a 31, 31, eight, 31, eight. It was yeah, not. Yeah, that, it was basically pretty... not. A, it was basically not a game shortly after halftime either. It was just uh it was just pretty nondescript. Uh, Bethel couldn't hold on to the football. Yeah, and then of course, in uh, all three of our picks for uh, games that would decide a title, uh, they ended up doing so. So not not a bad week, triple take. But there's no such thing as a perfect triple take, is there? Yeah, no. Um, let's see. So Widener Kings, not surprisingly close. Case Western, Thomas Moore, not surprisingly close. And we mentioned that. Uh, Bethel and St. John's was kind of a, a snoozer of a game, but uh, every otherwise, I thought we did pretty well. Yeah, we hung in there. We did all right. Uh, Widener beat Kings 55-6, and that was ugly by halftime. Kings had done a nice job of staying close uh, to Del, Del Val the week before and uh, and to, I think, Lyco earlier in the season, so I thought there was a chance there. And Tips was the one who picked the Thomas Moore Case Western Reserve one. Thomas Moore crushed 66-34, and they'll go in the bin with the, uh, the the two lost teams who have have a bunch of wins, um, but I don't know how well uh, how well Thomas Moore's resume is going to stack up. Yeah, I don't think we'll get that deep into the two lost teams, most likely. Uh, so, uh, uh, but a, a good season for Thomas Moore, nonetheless. Um, moving ahead to the flash drive, which is our lightning round, which is our two minute drill, which is whatever you want to call it. But, uh, I wanted to point out Deshaun Brown of Denison. He got his name into the division three football record book with 339 receiving yards on 15 catches. That's the eighth most prolific receiving day in D three history. Uh, you remember Lewis Howes, then of Principia, later of Capital, and now, you know, uh, entrepreneur and man of mystery. Uh, he holds the single game mark with 419 receiving yards in a single game. Southern Virginia won eight games last season, but mostly played non-D3s or first-year programs. And one of their most competitive games last year against a legitimate D3 team was a 7-2 loss to the College of New Jersey. This year, they beat TCNJ 28-20 on Saturday for their first win after starting 0-8 against a much tougher schedule. Remember, they're moving into the NJAC next season, and so they played pretty much a full NJAC schedule for the first time this year. Yeah, actually, pretty, uh, exactly entirely an NJAC schedule. They came into the league a year early, and the rest of the uh, the big group joins next year. That's uh, Frostburg, Salisbury, and Christopher Newport and Wesley, right? The entire Capital Athletic Conference football moves into the NJAC for next year. Uh, let's see. Union got six touchdowns from freshman quarterback Dante. I should have checked the pronunciation. Chiofi? 
C-I-O-F-F-I. It would be Chaffee if it were totally Italian, right? Uh, they defeated Merchant Marine 59-32. And also, Union gave our colleague Frank Rossi a nice send-off, as it appears he is finally, indeed, stepping down after 20 years of calling Union games on the radio and after about five or six years of saying, ah, ah, this is my last game. Uh, he goes out next week, and so does Union, with uh, the Dutchman Shoes rivalry game at RPI. Rossi, much easier to pronounce than Chaffee. Coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, since going to the Stag Bowl two years ago, St. Thomas is fifteen and four with two losses each season, or one two losses each season and two losses overall uh, to St. John's and Bethel in in a Mayak that's quite frankly strong as it's ever been. After an eighty three seven win over Carlton on Saturday, the Tommies look poised to finish eight and two, as do the Concordia Moorhead Cobbers and the Bethel Royals. So St. John's is going to clinch the division uh, of the conference with that 8-2 and two record. And Bethel's games against Wartburg and Chicago help give it the number two strength of schedule in D3. So they have a great shot at the playoffs, but the Tommies and Cobbers have virtually no shot. Yeah, actually, uh, St. John's is 9-1. and one. Or is eight and one, and, and will be nine and one if they beat St. Olaf next week. But they could w- clinch with two losses. They don't uh, necessarily have to. They could clinch with one, obviously, next week. Uh, Texas Lutheran remained in the hunt for a playoff bid. The Bulldogs trailed early, but they bounced back to beat Austin College 36-24 behind 105 yards for Marquise Baroli and a 51-yard field goal for Tyler Brandenburg. So let's talk about Pool B for a second. We've got basically five bids for two spots, or five teams for two spots. Uh, you figure Wesley is in for sure. Uh, they're unbeaten right now, and their game next Saturday is against UNC Charlotte, which is a D1 FCS team. So Wesley's got to be Wesley's got to be in one for one of those two spots. Uh, last week, I kind of thought the committee was stacking the deck in the South Region by putting uh, Texas Lutheran and, and Center tied for the same spot. If they end up with Texas Lutheran ahead of Center and then TLU gets the other Pool B bid, I mean, Center's going to get in. They're not going to get denied a Pool C. That's the true at-large bids uh, being undefeated. I also kind of almost think the committee made a mistake ranking Framingham State against uh, ahead of Montclair State in last week's rankings. It's like they missed the fact that Framingham lost to Rowan and Montclair State had beaten them. Uh, so Framingham is another Pool B contender. Uh, University of Chicago is really far on the outside looking in at the moment. So those are the five teams that are, are going to have uh, presumably one loss or less who are Pool B eligible. And any of them that don't get selected could get selected in Pool C. It has never happened in Division Three football, but this year looks like it could be a year where it, it does happen. And it can happen. It happens in baseball, for example, all the time. So back to center for a second. Uh, their strength of schedule is really low, but no unbeaten team has been left home since we went to the automatic bid system back in 99. Center can't afford to lose to Birmingham Southern next week, though, and the uh, strength of schedule for center is going to drop even further. The reason why it's so low, Hanover, Defiance, WNL, and Wash U. Those are the uh, four teams they played out of conference, and uh, those teams are combined 9-26 and 26 versus Division Three. So center, even though they're unbeaten, uh, they're kind of on the bubble. They need to win on Saturday, and then they'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah, both WNL and WashU have been to the playoffs in recent seasons, so and not necessarily an issue of, of center deliberately trying to schedule. They just kind of caught, caught teams uh, on a bad uh, year. Um, there, were, there were two things I wanted to add there. One is, uh, you know, Chicago is, is really now wishing that game against Pacific wasn't canceled because if Pacific, for some reason, uh, wins the, uh, the Northwest Conference or if they end up regionally ranked, that would be a, a helpful result for, uh, for University of Chicago to have if, if they're in this Pool B mix. And 
even if Texas Lutheran gets in via Pool B or Pool C, their first round game is very likely going to be at uh, Mary Harden Baylor because they're the only team within driving distance, 500 miles of UMHB, which on Saturday got a 100 yard interception return from uh, re- interception return touchdown, of course, from uh, from Eric, Eric Allen and uh, UMHB harassed Howard Payne in a six turnovers turnovers and made none of its own in the 84-13 victory. 84-13. Goodness. Yeah, two two 80s uh, on Saturday by uh, teams in the top 25. Um, you know, Pacific is in the regional rankings now, but if they lose on Saturday, they won't be. And this year, uh, we are in a situation where you have to be regionally ranked in that final ranking to count as uh, a regionally ranked opponent for somebody else. In the past, there have been uh, scenarios where what it's what's called once ranked, always ranked. So a team that uh, drops out of the regional rankings this week would still count as being regionally ranked for somebody else who already played them. But we don't do that this year because why would we want to have more data? Uh, let's see. Completely out of the playoff picture. Let's talk about uh, the biggest little game in America or the biggest little game in the nation. I can never remember which uh, name applies to which. But Amherst eased past its arch rival Williams 17-9 on uh, Saturday afternoon in front of 11,500 fans in one of D3's biggest rivalries. Lord Jeffs are also this year's answer to the question, who's that unbeaten team that didn't get a playoff bid? Well, I'm ready to see one of these teams be unbeaten and, and one of the other ones probably still get a playoff bid. Uh, Mount Union and John Carroll, uh, be nice if they could just stop bullying everyone else in the OAC and pick on someone their own size. Finally, week 11, and we'll get to see uh, what Mount Union and John Carroll look like against a team of its own caliber. And you probably could say the same thing about Widener and DelVal and the MAC, although at least they get challenged from time to time in their uh, in their conference schedule. The Purple Raiders in blue streaks, and this was true on Saturday, they basically been ending games by halftime, scoring in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And so uh, I'm not sure I expect that kind of scoring on Saturday, but I, I do expect to finally see, to finally care about a fourth quarter of a Purple Raider or Blue Streaks game. You know, um, last year that was a close game. Uh, it was, uh, I think, 42-34 was the final uh, when they met. Um, you know, oftentimes we get to these games where uh, – you know, it's a, it's expected to be a big game for Mountain Union. They still end up uh, blowing the doors off of somebody. So uh, whether it's like that or whether it's like that uh, Mountain Union John Carroll game last week or last year, we'll know uh, about two uh, thirty or so on Saturday afternoon when that game goes into the second half. Uh, Wisconsin Whitewater now has the longest active winning streak in college football, twenty six consecutive games, as uh, Whitewater won the WIC by beating. Wisconsin Stevens Point and North Dakota State lost 23-3 at Northern Iowa. Got to give some respect here at the end of the podcast to all the coaches, not just the ones who are listening, but the ones who got uh, things turned around or back on track at at schools. Um, you know, whether it's you know places where where D three has traditionally been great or or places where it's kind of just starting up. Uh, how about St. John's, Gary Fashing, uh, Husson, Gabby Price, MIT, Chad Martinovich, and, and really so many more places across the country. Probably can, can toss uh, Pacific's Keith Buckley in there, you know, because Pacific didn't have football for so many years and brought it back and is now in the playoff mix here in, in week five uh, or year five for them. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, the list of, of clinch teams so far basically reads like a who's who of D3, and so it'll add some spice and it'll be a little bit more of an unusual playoff field if you see a McAllister or, or Pacific get in. 
and and definitely when it has MIT in the field, it uh, already has that little bit of extra. Um, yeah, you said spice. I can't say curry because curry didn't uh, do very well in that conference this year. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, G three humor. Let's just move on. Uh, moving on to next week's game. So we've talked about a lot of these games already. So, um, you know, John Carroll at Mount Union that will decide the Ohio Athletic Conference. Uh, Delaware Valley at Widener will decide the MAC and also uh, who gets to hold the Keystone Cup for the next season. Uh, Adrian and Trine, that's a head-to-head game for the MIAA, Pacific at Linfield in the Northwest Conference, and the Midwest Conference title game, uh, which is McAllister at Illinois College. And then, of course, all those other games in the uh, other conferences, Keith. Uh, Hampton-Sydney-Randolph-Macon. Do you want to talk about Hampton-Sydney-Randolph-Macon? Uh, um, I got a feeling on Saturday I may not want to talk about it, but um, it's it's Randolph-Macon at Hampton-Sydney this year. Um, Bridgewater finishes up, I believe, with Catholic. Guilford is at E&H in the ODAC. Uh, the NJAC, we mentioned these ones quickly. Rowan's at TCNJ on Friday night. And if they don't clinch there, we'll be paying attention to, Mo- to Montclair at Kane uh, on Saturday in the ECFC. Husson at Mount Ida. Castleton State at Norwich in the, was it the Sat Bucket rivalry? Sure. And in the NAC. Uh, Lakeland at Benedictine, Concordia, Wisconsin at Wisconsin Lutheran. All those games are all huge games next week. And, of course, there's the, the, the games that are huge every year. Yeah, we talk about, uh, well, the, the game, Hampton, Sydney, Randolph, Macon. Uh, the victory bell between uh, Franklin and Hanover. But uh, the Monon Bell game, especially Wabash and DePauw, uh, Wabash has uh, its, its eye on the playoffs, and DePauw has its eye on actually being competitive with Wabash, if not necessarily even maybe possibly winning that game. And then the Cortica-Jug game, which next year will be a conference game in the Empire 8 uh, between Ithaca and Cortland State. Yeah, and and remember last year there was the game wasn't even the focus. It it, it got crazy in town, uh, and so this year hopefully we'll just be uh, talking about great things that happen on the field. You know, the nice thing was that, uh, yeah, in the town of, I think that was in Cortland, right? That wasn't in. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. I don't remember which town it was in last year, uh, but there were some issues. Yes, and there was talk uh, that uh, you know maybe the teams should not play this rivalry game anymore because the uh, students couldn't behave themselves afterwards. And then you know Cortland goes and joins the Empire Eight, and it's like, okay, yeah, we're definitely playing that game. So that was uh, that was I was happy to see that they weren't going to give up a fantastic rivalry game just because uh, a bunch of students couldn't behave themselves. So behave yourselves out there, for goodness' sake. Uh, we got a big week coming up because we have, uh, of course, the second set of regional rankings. We will do some playoff projections. You know, for example, we didn't even really talk about the playoff chances of someone like Emery and Henry, who could win or could win on Saturday to finish the season nine and one with one loss. That they weren't even in the regional rankings last week. So where do they fit? Uh, really far down the bubble. So you know, is that uh, you know, do they have a shot? We'll we'll know a little bit more. Um, you know, later this week when the uh, next set of regional rankings comes out, maybe things will change. Maybe they won't in the South region. Um, you know, we'll have uh, we have uh, of course you've already seen snap judgments from Ryan Tips, and he'll have another column later this week. We'll have the around the region columnists our our play of the week. Uh, I can't say for sure if this uh, upcoming week the play of the week will have. 457,370 views, which is where that uh, Hanover play stands at the moment. But uh, if you have a great play, send it to us by 5 p.m. on Monday. Can't promise it'll go viral, but uh, we'll get you as uh, many views as we can get on it. That was a pretty fun week, Keith. I always love when I have an opportunity to just sit down and watch YouTube numbers uh, roll up. 
Well, not only that, you know, sometimes, some weeks, the the play comes in. It's a no-brainer. Everyone on the panel agrees. And this week, uh, I think there was some doubt, and I'm glad we picked the right one. Yeah, yeah, we made a we made the right pick. We, we certainly picked the one that had the best chance of going viral. That Hamlin uh, uh, Hail Mary at the end of the game wasn't so bad either. So... He's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman. That's the Around the Nation podcast and uh, a lot more Division Three this week.